Hello and welcome to BJGP Interviews. My name is Ewan Lawson and I'm the editor of the BJGP. In this episode, we talk to Dr. Sean McBride-Stewart, who is lead pharmacist for Medicines Management Resources, Pharmacy Services, and that's at NHS Greater Glasgow and Clyde. And this paper reports on a pragmatic cluster randomised trial in 233 UK general practices looking into the effect of feedback to patients around their asthma medication prescribing. Now, we know that prescribing feedback to GPs is a common intervention, but I started by asking Sean to tell us a little bit more about what he wanted to do in this study. I've been a prescribing advisor for many years. I started in New Zealand, I worked with GPs there and then came over in uh, uh, around the time of the millennium and working um, in GP practice. And 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 we have I have been involved in and us as a team have been involved in trying to influence GP prescribing and increasingly focusing on the quality of prescribing. And so we've used feedback many times. But what had happened um, in the early 2014, about that time, um, the NHS in Scotland made available to us more in-depth prescribing data. So they um, allowed us to um, have access to patient level information. So we looked again at the analysis that we were doing and the feedback that we were providing, and we looked to see whether that could be improved and focused. Uh, we, we knew it could be better focused on areas of quality of prescribing. And at the time I was doing this study, the um, National Review of Asthma Deaths had um, just been published and they had identified that within the, the treatment of asthma and particularly in the primary care setting and in general practice, there were a cohort of patients that we were being uh, prescribed lots of bronchodilators, um, not necessarily getting their uh, preventative treatments at the same time, so bronchodilators without steroid inhalers, and um, and they weren't necessarily getting reviews. And they kind of picked that up by looking at the patients that had died in the previous two or three years and, and picked it up as a common theme for those patients that had had the worst outcome for their asthma um, was that their prescribing in, in the primary care setting was, 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 not, was not ideal, was not perfect, and, and, and challenged GPs to, to, to think about that. So there's two things that have come together really nicely here. There's this interest in, you know, feedback to improve prescribing. And then there was obviously this clear clinical need to address asthma deaths and a mechanism there, particularly around some what could be regarded as inappropriate prescribing with lots of bronchodilators going out. Tell us a little bit more about what's known already about the evidence on prescribing feedback. Yeah, so actually prescribing feedback on its own doesn't actually come out very well. If you, There are some Cochrane reviews around this. Um, and um, they were done in the 90s, early 2000s, and at the time, prescribing feedback would have really been to a GP to say that you have prescribed X number of prescriptions for bronchodilators versus X number of prescriptions for um, steroid inhalers. If the topic was asthma, if it was antibiotics, it would have been, you know, you're prescribing a lot of carmoxiclab versus amoxicillin, for instance. We don't like you prescribe carmoxiclab. But, but it wasn't being um, connected to patients or individual patients. So if the doctor wanted to do something or the GP wanted to do something about that or the practice wanted to do that as a group, 
then they had to do an extra piece of work and actually find the patients, go into their records, do some um, uh, uh, run some searches against the electronic healthcare records to find the patients that had the prescribing that they wanted to review. So extra effort, extra work to get to the to, to get to the uh, to the point where they can actually review patients. And there was some evidence coming through, and there is some good evidence coming through that feedback within a a multifaceted complex intervention was working and and my suspicion is that that's because some of those multifaceted interventions brought in this um, mechanism of finding the cohort that the patient that the doctor should review or look at at least that the the, the, the the patients with the with the um, at risk or inappropriate prescribing and what we did was rather than so we're kind of in between the two so our study or the study that I did was we didn't do the multifaceted complex intervention. We kept it very uh, simple. We just did the feedback, but what we did was we enhanced the feedback and we added in this, um, this, this additional piece of information. So the feedback that was provided to the practices included patient details and it included um, a visualization of, of how patients were picking up their medicines in the previous 12 months. So, so the intention was that the feedback was provided and it was sufficient for the doctor to look just at the feedback to make an assessment as to actually I need to do something here and actually do and then open up the patient record, do something, rather than have what we knew was happening because I've been in that world was happening in other times where people go, oh, well, now I just now have to go find the, look into the patient records to find the patients that I'm now going to review, that, that we gave them enough information to, to start that review um, immediately yeah that's really interesting and as you say it just cuts out a whole step where you otherwise you'd have to go and do an audit project or you know some kind of quality improvement activity and so that's your intervention tell us a little bit just briefly about you know kind of how you set it up in terms of the um the methodology of this study we we ran it as a cluster randomized control trial because recognizing i mean i've worked like i said i've worked in general practice a long time so we recognize that the um, practices as a unit that, that, that general practice is a team sport, not individual sport, and prescribing of um, things like um, inhalers for long-term conditions is definitely a team sport. No one person is really responsible for it. You've got receptionists taking the requests. You've got um, duty doctors uh, signing the scripts. You've got the actual doctor that um, might be the doctor the patient's registered with. And then you've got the practice nurse who will be doing the, 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 the long-term uh, conditions uh, clinics, the asthma clinics, and things like that. So, so a big team sport. So, rather than um, providing the feedback to individual prescribers, we provided provided the feedback to the practice. So that's the cluster, but we measured the impact um, at the patient level, which is is, is how you would run a, a randomized cluster randomized control study. And what we did was that we. Um, we, we actually designed two sets of feedback. So one, the other feedback was on a totally different topic. And I don't really want to talk about that because that's the next study I want to publish. Um, so um, I won't give away any results. Um, but uh, so, and then because we had two, two types of feedback, um, different types of topics, we could then run it as a randomized control study. So we randomized the practices to receive one or the other. And we made sure that the randomization was balanced in, and then we ran over around the study. Um, so every practice got feedback. It was just on two different topics. Um, we did the, we provided the feedback three times. Um, so over a 12 month period, so 
month zero, month six, and at 12 months. And then we waited. We had to wait for a reasonable period of time because the way that prescribing feedback worked, particularly for this one, we were using a whole year's worth of data to say to a practice, well, you've got a patient that's collecting more than 12 inhalers in a year. Well, to measure that, you need a year's worth of prescribing. So at the other end, to measure a year's worth of prescribing that after the last feedback had been provided, we had to wait a whole um, 12, 14 months before we um, before we then went back to the data. Yeah, it's been quite a project. Tell us what you um, tell us what you found. Tell us your primary outcomes and what the what the results showed. Yeah, so um, so for those practices that got the feedback on the topic around um, potentially inappropriate bronchodilators, before the at the time that they got the feedback, on average they had um, around twenty two patients per practice, and then that fell um, to seventeen. Uh, so it, more accurately, it's twenty one point eight patients on average, and it fell to 17.7 per practice for those uh, patients that had been measured or had been assessed as having this potentially inappropriate prescribing. And in the controls, that number did change as well. They had 20.5 to begin with, and that fell just by a fraction to 20.2. So in effect, um, we had uh, 3.7 fewer patients and the practices given the feedback um, because of the, we, we attribute that to the feedback and the confidence interval around that was um, anything between 2 and 5.3. So, so it was a statistically significant event, effect. And because we gave the feedback to 118 practices, so it's quite a large study, um, so when you do the math, it's quite simple math, that's 407, 437 fewer patients prescribed that potentially inappropriate prescribing based on the fact that we sent out feedback feedback three times to the practices yeah quite a powerful intervention in that regard with yeah the numbers the numbers start stacking up yeah yeah a lot of potential to make a big difference clinically let's let's go on tell us a little bit more what you think about means about feedback in this case about how we should be doing it when we should be doing it what are the implications there we appreciate that this is a a, a kind of a low tech or a low resource um, intervention in that the feedback itself was developed um, by myself and one of the colleagues helped me. But in effect, the feedback, all of that feedback to the to the to all the practices, two hundred and thirty of them, was developed within, but personally by one person. Yeah. So so it's 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 not a it's not a, a hugely onerous task. We didn't do the um, the, the academic detailing, the outreach, the visits to the practice. We didn't um, take up any time in the practice other than the time that the practices were willing to do. We didn't pay the practices to do anything. We, we just provided that feedback. And if they responded to it, that was up to them. If they didn't, then, you know, no skin off our nose. And um, so, so as an inexpensive um, and kind of low-tech intervention i think it has it has some merits i mean you could still argue that it, you know you've still got 17.7 patients per practice with the inappropriate prescribing left after the feedback you know so it's it had an effect but it didn't get rid of all of that inappropriate prescribing so there's still um there's, there's still a problem to be looked at and fixed but um uh but i think 
so so it depends on the topic. So it'd be very, very topic specific as to whether as an organization, so say the NHS was thinking about nudging prescribing in a particular way, particularly safe, you know, issues around safety of prescribing, then this might be an intervention that could be used if you were if you didn't want to if you were comforted by the idea that you weren't going to fix all of the prescribing, but you were just going to get people to move in the right direction, get people to start to move in the direction, right direction. So it depends on the topic. It really, you know, some some areas you really want to get things fixed and you want, and there is no tolerance to that prescribing you're trying to. Um, yeah, sometimes you've got to be pragmatic and know it's moving in the right direction. There are other, there are kind of should never happen events in terms of prescribing yes. as well that we wouldn't want to, that, you know, you expect it all to be fixed. Absolutely. Um, it's a really interesting study. What any sort of final thoughts, Sean, about where this is going next? Uh, one of the things I wondered, you, one of the things we'd love to look at is whether it will be sustained, of course, and how much feedback in some ways GPs can tolerate. I suppose it's yes. kind of things, something to look at. Yeah, I think there is that, and I think you, the, there could be end up being quite easily feedback fatigue, and you know, and 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 getting people to to constantly be looking at um, different topics, and 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 that fine line between deciding that something's important and and relevant and and not you know so just so we spend a lot of time actually this is an interesting thing because we spend a lot of time identifying a topic that for us and this is partly making sure that the study worked i had only one chance to do your phd and you, you want to do it well but that sweet spot of having just the right number of patients so that so the 20 or 21 per practice was seen as that kind of it's enough enough to show a change but not too much to put people off you know be daunting mm -hmm. to a practice you know because if you went to back, back to the practice say for example today um, there's now a warning around pregabalin and um, and and the risk of uh, of, of harm to, to if someone becomes pregnant we give feedback to tomorrow to patient to practices about that they could be looking at 100 patients or 200, you know, depending on how how, how commonly they prescribe pregabalin. So, so, so the topic's right, but the but the size of the of the activity might be too much. So, I suppose the the take home message is, it might be useful, but you've I think what for people like myself, prescribing advisors and and quality improvement and uh, leads leads and things need to have a, a, a kind of a tool bag. And then pick and choose the right tool depending on the topic. And this is one of the tools they can use, but it won't be appropriate for everything. So it's a kind of a, it's not a one size fits all. But I think it would be useful in some circumstances for some topics. Understood. And that's a very sensible way to go about it. And, um, you know, it certainly showed an impressive effect. But as you say there, it's got to be used with care at the right time and as part of a package of options. So that's um, that sounds really wise way to approach it. Sean, that's a really wonderful bit of research. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to this BJGP podcast. The original research papers and articles can be found at bjgp.org. The show notes and podcast audio can be found at bjgplife.com. Do share if you've enjoyed it. Subscribe via all the usual places, including Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or your podcaster of choice. Thanks again. Thanks again.